Welcome to the Writer Dojo with your host, Steve Diamond. Lights. And Larry Korea. Camera. Today's episode, Writing Action, Round 1. Welcome, everybody, to the Writer Dojo. Glad to have you back with us. Today's topic is what, Larry? Uh, let's see. What was that thing we left off there? <laughs> Lights. There's camera. We're doing action today, guys. Something we've talked about doing, and for whatever reason, even though this is something that I often teach at events, I'll, I'll do a one-hour-long mm-hmm. Larry lesson on uh, action. We've never actually done that on the show yet. We are 50 episodes in or something right now. Yeah, before we finally get to the thing that I'm best known in the industry mm-hmm. for. Yeah. Okay, well, you know, we're, uh, we're, we're efficient like that. Yep, yep. <laughs> we, we figured what better way to start, officially start, I guess I should say, because we, we had kind of an episode zero for season three. But what, what better way to start season three than with a two-part, action-packed, spectacular of something, whatever, because yeah. that's what we do. Yeah. So this today, guys, is going to be very nuts and bolts. Uh, I'm going to go over a bunch of like basically tips and tricks that I do. Um, if you guys, uh, I'm assuming that most of the Writer Dojo listeners are at least familiar with my work, or I'm, a mm-hmm. lot of you read it, but I, I'm really known as an action guy. I write primarily a lot of action adventure stuff, whether it's sci-fi, fantasy, whatever genres, comedy even, anything I mess with, I do a lot of action sequences, and I am pretty well known for that. In fact, I think the... Back in ye olden days, when you and I first met, um, I I borrowed uh, Monster Hunter International first one from the library because I you know you guys know the story like you know I I I was making I was made at a point back in my elitist book review days to know all the local authors heard about that Larry existed when got his book and I read it and I think that my my review one of the main sticking points of that review back in forever ago when I wrote it was basically, this guy knows action. This was like 2000. And that was your first book. Yeah, so you would have reviewed this in like 2010. Yeah, yeah. It was the mass market paperback. I think it had only been out for a little bit. Yeah, so honestly, it would have been 2009, 2010. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because background-wise, I loved reading action. Um, and so I, I, I read a lot of fantasy. I, lo- I read a lot of Westerns. And my favorite parts were always those confrontational, awesome sequences where cool stuff happens. And, I mean, one of the examples I use is I love Lord of the Rings. But if you actually go back and reread Lord of the Rings, it's not action-packed. No, no, not at all. And so there's three pages describing the flowers. And then Boromir fought some orcs, got shot with arrows, blew his horn, and died. You know what I mean? So (laughs) it was very much not that. Then I started getting into, you know – uh, Terry Brooks and that kind of yep. thing. Same, and that's the same for me. Raymond Feist. Exactly the same as uh, me. You yeah. usually had some pretty long actors. You could, um, it was funny because one of the first books that made me really want to be a writer when I was young was um, was from Bob Salvatore. Yeah. Uh, yeah. His Driz Duerden uh, stuff. And I remember one time I was reading, and I was young. I was I was probably a teenager. And uh, it was funny because Bob Bob thinks I'm insane because he we were very politically different. I don't oh, think. yeah. 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 <laughs> But that said, the dude could write action. Yeah. And uh, so I was reading one of his books, and I read like a 40-page action sequence. It was, like, it was serious. It was like 40 pages long. 
And I just remember thinking, man, that was awesome. Because as a kid, I never once slowed down. It just kept drawing me along. And so when I started writing my own books, uh, I, I very much wanted to do that. And so I jumped in and I, I started writing action. And I guess today we're going to go over some of the stuff that I uh, that I the, that mm-hmm. I use. There's and also guys, we'll say this a lot on Writer Dojo, and uh, and Steve will back me up on this one. These are just suggestions. Yeah. There's there none of these are hard and fast rules, um, because for every suggestion I give you, we can find a really successful author who does it entirely different, and that's fine. Well, and even beyond that, I mean. Uh, like we always say, like the the one thing that's unique about you is you, yeah. you know, your own voice. Every chef is going to have their own take on a recipe. Right. Even if it's the same recipe. Mm-hmm. And so guys don't, don't ever believe anybody who says there's one true path. They're full of crap. Uh, Cormac McCarthy doesn't even use punctuation. Okay? No, no, it's super <laughs> obnoxious. That said, you're not Cormac McCarthy. Please use punctuation. Yeah. Um, so to start out, um, I got my notes here actually are from a blog post, uh, uh, that is actually from 2010. Holy crap. And this is 12 years ago. And so I'll expand, obviously. I've learned a few things in 12 years. Oh, yeah, for sure. But the fundamentals remain the same. Uh, so the first thing I want to say is when you are writing, when, uh, when you're writing your action scenes, if it's boring, fix it. What do you mean by that? So what I mean is, have you guys ever read an action scene that starts to drone? Oh, yeah. It starts to go on and on and on. Because what's happened is... If you think about if you're describing an action sequence, it's really easy to make it too long because you can describe a dialogue sequence, you can describe a plot sequence, and a lot of stuff will happen in like a very small amount of page. But if you get into the fight sequence and then you're like, he ran, he jumped over the turnstile, he punched bad guy number one, he kicked bad guy number two, bad guy number one then tried to shoot him, he blocked bad guy number one's gun. And all of a sudden what's happened now is this thing that really takes a fraction of the time of the dialogue scene you just did has now taken up five pages and really not much has happened. You know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like when we're gaming yeah, and, and our, and we're going around the table and it's like, okay, um, Larry, take your turn. Oh, okay. Steve, take your turn. Oh, okay. Uh, Pat, take your turn. And we go around and at the end of it, we're like, you know, it took us 30 minutes to go through a round that takes in real life, six seconds. Exactly. That's the same trap that too many writers fall into. And so the way you guys think about this is if there's any portions where the reader is getting bored, you need to slim that sucker down. Uh, one of the examples I was using is one time, um, well, actually, before, oh, let me give you a little more background before I tell the story. You, you don't want to over-explain. You don't want to do what's called checklisting. Yep. So checklisting is like I just described. I did this. He did that. I did this. He did that. I did this. He did that. You know, if you start skimming down your page and you see I, 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 if it's first person or he, 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 or the guy's name is in third person, you're checklisting. What you need to do is you need to vary that up. You need to mix it up. And so uh, one time, for example, uh, I was looking at a, a book I had done and I actually just, I literally, that's when I learned this trick. As I'm staring at the screen, I could literally see the river of eyes hmm. running down the page. I was starting all these sentences with, I did this, I saw that, I did this, I did this. And that is boring. Yeah, It's too samey-samey. You don't want to over-describe. You want to just make it enough that they're not bored and they're not confused. That's the problem. If you under-describe action sequences, now you're like, wait, how did that dude get there? That doesn't yeah. make any sense. 
So you want to like not go too far. So one time uh, when I was working on Dead Six, or it was actually the sequel, so it was um, uh, Swords of Exodus, Exodus, number two. And uh, we have a scene where Valentine's escaping from a secret prison, uh, and he gets one of those side handle police batons, right? And he's beating up a guard with it. Nice. And uh, Mike is trying to describe how he's beating him with this baton. And he had, you know, he's holding it by the handle, and he had it down the inside of his forearm, and you got the little pokey bit standing out there. And he, like, spun it around and hit the dude, and then he flung it around, and he poked him. And what happened is I'm looking at it, and we wrote, like, a paragraph of how he's hitting this dude with a stick. And you know what we did? In the final version, it's I beat him with a stick. Or <laughs> it's like I beat him with the baton. Because we had over-described. And it, what happens is if you start to over-describe in an action sequence, all of a sudden you got this, like you said, it's the it's in D&D, yeah. the 30-minute, six-second round. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's like you don't want to do that in your action. That's very important. So you avoid the checklist. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't over-describe and you don't let them be confused. Make you know, sense? Yeah. I mean, it, it kind of holds true with, with, with most storytelling aspects, right? Like it's not like action um, is completely in a vacuum compared to everything else. Um, you know, I, I talk about like kind of the ABCs of writing all the time. Mm-hmm. Okay. One, you want it to be awesome. Just like action sequences. Want it to be awesome for yep. sure. But like you said, B, don't want it to be bored. Don't want yep. it to be, to be boring. C, I don't want it to be confusing. Yep. That's the keys. Honestly, and that's what the best thing for alpha readers is, and I, I think this is Orson Scott's card said this, the only thing he cares about from his alpha readers, were you ever bored? Were you ever confused? Mm-hmm. And if you're an unskilled action person, those are the two easiest things to do if you do your action scene wrong. There's yeah. nothing worse than a boring action or confusing action sequence. Now, that's when I say confusing. There's there's confusing to the reader and confusing to the character. Confusing to the character is Oh, that's great. a different thing. That's, that's a whole different. different thing. So to specify, I mean, don't confuse the reader. Yeah. Unless you're trying to do some sleight of hand tricks. You know, or you want to confuse the reader on purpose, but yes. that's a, that's a, you know, that thread in that needle, guys. Yeah, don't get cute. Don't get cute. Uh, you're not Dan Simmons. Yeah. <laughs> you got to work up to that. Well, and. You're not Tim Powers. You know, I think one, one of my favorite uh, action uh, authors is Joe Abercrombie. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Gritty, um, gritty action. Very, very gritty. But within that, within the confines of his action scenes, they're, they're very chaotic. They're very confusing. Yep. Um, uh, the main, especially in the first trilogy, where where Logan Ninefingers is the main character, everything is seen through a haze of violence. Yeah, because he confusion. like he's like a berserker. He berserks, yeah. And so, like, that's a really good example of how how you can make a scene confusing and chaotic. But like, as the reader, when you're going through it, the, the scene isn't confusing. You know exactly what the heck's going on. When we talk about we talk about that. I think one thing we like, and you bring up a great point with Logan Knifeers there. Point of view character for your yeah. action sequence. This is huge. So you're going to describe the action sequence through one character usually. Mm-hmm. And you can actually, if you're writing a third person, you can switch between different characters for different portions of it. You know, make sure you give yourself a little break there so the reader's clear who's who. But I always like to tell the action sequence from the perspective of the character who's got the best view of it or the most interesting view of it or the most interesting take on it. Yeah, just, I mean, just like everything, right? Exactly. So then you need to think about 
what does that character know about that type of action and their skill sets. So when I say like this, I'm going to use my own work, for example. I'm going to use hard magic. Yeah. Okay? I have two main point of view characters in hard magic and then probably four secondary characters. Uh, they switch between. Well, one of them is Jake Sullivan. Mm-hmm. So Jake Sullivan is this uh, World War One combat vet who then, after the war, wound up killing a sheriff. Uh, but not the deputy. Don't worry about no, it. No, the deputy is fine. He winds up going to prison for magical people where he's the toughest guy there. So every dirtbag in this place that wants to take a shot at the title takes a shot at Jake Sullivan. And so Jake Sullivan basically spends years in prison fighting to the death against other magical people, Mm -hmm. right? And this dude is a beast. And he's also a very calm man. He's very patient. He's very calm. He's extremely analytical. So when I write an action scene with Jake, it's going to go a certain way. And the other main character is Faye. Faye is like this hyperactive teenage girl. It's like like ADD on steroids. Yeah, she would be pumped up on so much Ritalin today, it'd be ridiculous. I love writing Faye. Uh, now, Faye doesn't have a combat background. She's a teenage girl. I mean, she grew up on a farm. And so a lot of her analogies to stuff is dealing with farm animals. Yeah. So if I'm writing a Jake Sullivan action sequence, he's methodical. Nothing rattles this dude. Bad stuff happens. He deals with it. And it just happens. He's thinking ahead. He has dealt with fear a lot. He's dealt with death a lot. And so as I'm writing Jake, it's very different. And if I'm writing Faye, it's, you know, it's the popped up on, it's a ferret on pixie sticks kind of thing. So I do a bunch of run on sentences. It's chaotic. She's jumping from place to place, just completely confused. Uh, She's scared out of her mind at first. Right. Because as we go into the story, this this girl's a little psycho. Yeah. Uh, But she is terrified and she's in over her head. And also think about how you describe like your techniques. Like Sullivan has shot a lot of guns, right? So he gets a gun in his hand. He just does his thing. Faye at the beginning of this has almost no experience with firearms. Uh, and her, like the first time she buys a uh, like $2 pistol and shoots it at a stump and is shocked how loud it is. Okay, yeah. that's, that's her experience with the guns. And so I throw in these people in the action sequence. If I'm writing a shooting scene, it's going to be very different depending on those two characters. If I'm writing a hand-to-hand combat scene, it's going to be very different between those two characters. And so you guys got to do this for every point of view character. And I, I, and we've seen this done poorly, right? All the time. All the time. The the one I like to put is the Magic Princess Adventure thing, or or Buffy the Vampire Slayer Syndrome. Uh. So Buffy the Vampire Slayer Syndrome in fiction terms is, I got a bunch of high school kids. They've got no combat training. They've got no experience. They're not military people. They're not mercenaries. You know, they're not bad mamma jambas. They're not street cops who've fist fought, you know, hobos with hepatitis, right? Right. But Buffy the Vampire Slayer, it's like, oh, I have discovered vampires are real. I can now kung fu fight. Ah, all kung fu. You know what the funny thing is? So um, I, I've been having trouble sleeping lately just because of all the crap going on at work and the 900 stories that I'm writing now. <laughs> Uh, which we talked about in our previous episode. So I've been watching Buffy just to veg. Yeah. And literally last night I was watching it and I'm like, how is it that once you turn into a vampire, you know, Kung Fu, this is some serious matrix level bull crap. How, why? I don't understand this. <laughs> so it's, yeah. And you can get away with it in some contexts. It's like, it's like, you know, spark, uh, you know, uh, 
trying to think of the right term for this genre, but ex, you know, princess adventure. And it's like I'm the princess, and therefore I can like go through like super cool adventure scenes, and oh, I can like I can beat up all these men at arms, you know. Yeah. Which it depends on on this. This is one of the things for writing is think about the audience you're writing for, and then tune your violence accordingly. So, for example, if I'm writing magic princess adventure, I can't throw in monster hunter international level violence. I mean, you could. Or I could not definitely throw in servants of war level violence. You probably shouldn't do that. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And so if you're writing, you know, Sparkle Princess Magic Pony on her adventure to Candy Cane Land, okay. She's probably not taking a trek through hell. She's not going to, she's not going to use her war mech to step on the head of her, of the, of her screaming comrade who's just been disemboweled. To put him out of his misery because his screaming is upsetting the rest of the unit and, and hurting the morale, you know? Um, I'm laughing here with a really big smile on my face because- That was a great scene. That One, it's a great scene, and two, I kind of want to write Sparkle Princess Adventure that's so hyper-violent now. <laughs> <laughs> you see what I mean, though? So it's tuned. You oh, tuned yeah, for it. sure. For sure. Oh man! So on that one, it's it's when I say tuning, it's like you're making a promise to the reader going in. It's like in the very first couple chapters they read the book, it says this is going to be this kind of book. The tone, right? The tone. And so when your action sequences come along, they're expecting that level of tone. If all of a sudden it turns into pulp fiction, yeah. you know they're going to be what? What the heck? Or alternately. You also run into the thing where you set the tone where this is going to be a serious thing. This is going to be serious. This is going to be violent. This is going to be dark. And then all of a sudden it turns into a big stupid cartoon. Yeah. I'm looking at you, Inglorious Bastards. Yep. Okay. That's, you that's, were thinking the same one. That's exactly what I was thinking. Because to me, that's the most discordant, um, just just nut kick of an audience. Because that movie started out so amazingly intense and then turned oh, into gosh. a Bugs Bunny cartoon with Brad Pitt as Bugs Bunny. Well, I mean, for those of you out there who have read Servants of War, and if you haven't read Servants of War, shame on you. It's really good. Come on, man. So um, our first basically two chapters in that book, very, very violent and dark. We've made a promise. We've made a promise of what you're going to see in this book. And that's probably one of the tamer instances of violence in the book. Yeah. Like it gets dark, dark. Yeah. So readers really don't like when you pull the rug out mm-hmm. front or on your action sequences, set a tone, set a level, and then that's what you're going. You can vary it up and down. You can go really shocking. Oh, yeah. Uh, and you can go pretty violent. But but don't take don't take it more than a few levels off of what you promised or you're going to turn people off in either direction. Well, and, and I think to one of your earlier points, Larry, which I really like, and that's that you tune it to the character. Yes. Because for some characters, the violence is going to feel more violent, if that makes any sense. Yes. And then for other characters, they're just like, oh, so it's Tuesday. Yeah. If I'm writing Son of the Black Sword, and I'm writing from the perspective of Ashok Vidal, I mean, I I will go and watch um, uh, Forged in Fire highlight videos of Doug Markaita chopping up, uh, you know, the, the ballistic gel dummies and <laughs> nice. like their heads exploding nice. and their arms, you know, legs and guts. And, and I'm like, oh yeah, you know, that's like, that's like Ashok level violence. Was, he just goes out and obliterates dudes. Right. So if I'm writing Rod of the Librarian, 
you know, it's entirely different. And it's mostly from a position of she's terrified and overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. So point of view is hugely important. All right. So that's going to be the first part of this episode. Um, We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, uh, we're going to go on to a couple more points about writing action. Uh, Hopefully you guys have been liking this so far. Um, Whenever Larry and I talk about action, I, I just love it because this is one of our favorite things to talk about when it comes to writing nuts and bolts. So with that said, we'll be right back. After generations of war, the champion of the everlasting dark stands triumphant over the corpse of the world that betrayed him. Left in the ashes of a thousand heroes, the sorcerer Ashkelon finds that victory alone is not enough to fill the ache of the void. Now, he searches for another hero, one capable of overcoming the dark within him. Across the worlds he travels, slaying those he finds unworthy, till at last he concludes that if he wants a true champion of light, he must create his own. For it seems that they know light best, who first know the dark. Confront the Dark in Shades of Black in Darkness Cast. Available at creativegrumbles.com and wherever audiobooks are sold. All right. Welcome back, everybody, to the first part of our installments on action. Um, First part, we talked a lot about kind of like tone and tuning the action scenes to to your point of view character and stuff. And avoiding the dreaded checklist. And avoiding the checklist. Exactly. Okay, so what's the next part that you want to talk about? I want to talk about the emotions that people experience, these characters. We talked about like these different types of point of view characters and filtering through their experiences. When I say emotion, and I'm also going to go into effects of adrenaline, because I, I think one of the reasons I've considered a good writer is I've studied the effects of adrenaline a lot because of my background as a shooting guy. Uh, I taught, I was a firearms instructor for a lot of years, and I did defensive firearms instruction. And part of that was teaching people how to still be able to shoot under the effects of a great deal of adrenaline. Um, now, when I was first writing Monster Hunter, I had, you know, got I got rejected a hundred times about mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and we were, I've already told the story on here of how I blew up all those rejection letters, you know, after, after I got my first New York Times bestseller on that series. Um, but I had this one agent who she read Monster Hunter and she really liked it and she thought it was very good, but she had some criticisms about it. And if, for those of you that read Monster Hunter in the opening scene of Monster Hunter International. Oh, be still my heart. It's a great scene. It's a great, it's one of the best opening scenes, I think, of a first novel anybody's had. I mean, it's a oh, great yeah, opening sure. sequence. So this guy, he's an accountant. He's working at his office building. It's 14th story of this office building in Dallas, Texas. Uh, his boss, he's him. He's working late. It's just him and his boss. His boss turns into a werewolf, tries to eat him. And uh, it's a great action sequence because there's some dialogue between the two guys before it starts. And then it turns into a hyper-violent fight that really kind of sets the tone for all of Monster Hunter. Plus, this guy doesn't scream and run and get eaten. He fights a werewolf hand-to-hand to the death in an office building, right? So it very much sets the tone that Monster Hunter is a book about heroic, bad mamba-jambas who don't quit. They don't scream and run and get eaten. They fight. So that's the, that's the opening thing. Now, during this fight sequence, I write the experiences that Owen is going through. Right. And I drew heavily upon my own background and 
Also, oh, I've never fought a werewolf, but you know, I can well, extrapolate. I mean, right, what you know, Larry. Don't you know yeah. that piece of advice? Well, that I can extrapolate. Plus, I know a lot of people who've done some scary stuff. And I right. And so even though I myself haven't done a lot of this stuff, I know people who have. And so I can like talk and listen and be a good listener and, and kind of understand like that kind of thing and try to get those kind of things in there. This lady from Manhattan <laughs> came back yeah. and she's like, I don't, I don't, I don't, this doesn't seem realistic to me because. The you, part about fighting a werewolf doesn't yeah, seem realistic. I mean, what, what are, I think hmm. he'd have more emotion in this moment. Like you're wrestling on the floor and you're trying to keep the snapping jaws away from your face and its claws are sunk into your body and you're squirting blood and you're, and you're, you know, you're punching it and stabbing it. I, how does he feel? And I was like, what do you mean? How does he feel? In that, in that moment? Oh, geez. I mean, I already, I already established the terror. Dude, there's time to feel later. But, but like, well, how does he feel? I think we need to stop and analyze his feelings. Like, no, we don't. No. No, we don't. That's okay. So, um, and I knew that I was a newbie at the yeah. time, and I knew that this lady was full of crap, and this experienced agent had no idea what she was talking about. So these are the types of people. Okay, so, so several weeks ago, um, one of our episodes was uh, back in season two, all the way back in season two. So far. Like, you know, four weeks ago. Um, we had our, our episode about lessons from the gun range. Yeah. I think that there's a lot of these people who, um, you know, they get up here and they're, and they're reading these things, especially when it comes to action specifically. Um, none of these people, one, have ever thrown a punch or been punched. Yeah, that's one of the things I mentioned in these notes here is like, um, I, one of the things I suggest to aspiring authors is go get punched in the face. Well, <laughs> if you're writing action, go shoot a damn gun. Yeah. Go, go take a class. Like it's. Go, go, go fight. Go get some fighting classes. When, when, when pressure is exerted on you as a person, whether we're talking about action or psychologically, um, like, like physically or psychologically, um, your, your body has very specific responses. It does. And a lot of times it, it starts shutting down emotions so that it can focus on function. Yeah. And so that's one of the things I tried to explain to her and she just didn't grasp. And, and she wound uh, up rejecting me because she wanted me to rewrite the whole book. Yeah. Screw that. And I just said no. And, and which is good. And that long term worked out way better for me. And I don't have an agent, which is awesome because I saved 15%. Yeah. And they wouldn't have never done anything for me anyway. But the effects of adrenaline here, guys, are, and this is, this is real life here. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the adrenaline kicks in, certain things happen to your body. Your fine motor skills tend to get worse. Your gross motor skills tend to get better. And, and this is not, everybody's a little bit different. And the more you've practiced an action, the more uh, automaticity you have built into your system, the easier you are to do those fine motor skills, like lining up sights, squeezing a trigger while keeping the sights where you want them, uh, manipulating your weapon, yep. you know, that kind of thing. The more you practice that, the better you'll do. You know, I was talking with my dad about this a little bit ago because um, we were, he and I, again, he, 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 most of y'all out there, if you've pay, been paying attention, you know this. My dad was a career cop, okay? And so whenever anything kind of wonky goes on in the news, I usually sit down with him because I want to get like, okay, what is an actual cop's perspective in terms of like policy, procedure, methodology, psychology, stuff like that, um, you know, because of quote unquote research. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that he, that he talks about is uh, in, in these stressful situations, 
um, even trained people, they're, like you said, Larry, their, their fine motor skills kind of start cutting out and they start going on memory, uh, like muscle memory where they have it. Well, and they start memory is kind of actually a misnomer, but, they, but go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, right. Yeah. But they start, they start tunneling Tunnel on things. Tunnel vision is actually and, and, one of the effects. And the interesting part of this is they tend to tunnel in on the threat in front of them. So a lot of times, if you start studying um, like a lot of police shootings, what you discover is very rarely is bad guy shot center mass or, or you know, two to the chest, one to the head. They're almost rarely. They're shot very, very frequently, like wherever their hand is. Wherever like the gun. Wherever the, wherever the perceived threat is, right? Because you tunnel. Mm-hmm. And this is a true thing. Very interesting. Uh, and you have to actually force yourself to pay attention to your surroundings because you... Uh, adrenaline is tunnel vision. Also another effect called the auditory exclusion where you hear stuff, but your brain is not hearing it. Your brain is only hearing the stuff that your brain is really concerned about. Interesting. So you're hearing it, but you're not processing it. So a lot of people experience auditory exclusion. Uh, they experience, like I said, the tunnel vision. They also experience uh, some people time dilation. Uh, time will not seem to flow correctly. Um, people talk about the shakes. The shakes are not usually during the adrenaline, the adrenaline dump. The shakes are actually after. After the crash, right? After the crash. And you'll get those. Uh, uh, I actually, I've had it before. My, my hands would not stop shaking for about 45 minutes yeah. just from like getting in a fight. Cause mm-hmm. so like you get so excited that afterwards you're just like, Oh, you know, um, weird one is actually, um, saliva. You will experience dry mouth. And actually there's a reason for this. And if you've ever been sucker punched in the face, if you, especially in the nose, you know that your eyes water really bad, like an explosive amount of water will come out of your eyes and you will be basically blind from tears. doesn't matter how tough you are. You're not crying because you're a wimp. You're crying because you got smashed in your face and water's going to start squirting out your eyeballs. This is a physiological response to to pain in that way. Exactly. And if you have an adrenaline dump and you get punched in the face, you don't. Oh, interesting. I didn't um, know this. The, well, I mean, obviously you can like get a lot of stuff to come out of your face on impact, but I'm saying yeah. you experience kind of dry mouth. What's happening is, and also this also goes with the, the loss of motor coordination, your body is sucking your blood towards your core <laughs> instead of your extremities. Um, it's getting ready to fight and flight. It's, it's, it's like, it's pumping up the blood. I mean, that's not scientific. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm trying to, I'm trying yeah, to phrase yeah, yeah. it. No, no, I get you. But yeah, so the, the getting hit in the face one is interesting. So if you get sucker punched, you cry, you're blind. That's actually the worst part. You got sucker punches. You got a couple seconds of like, oh crap, I'm blinking, blinking, blinking. What's coming? And then you get hit clocked again. That's where the tunnel vision also sucks because that's when the other guy punches you from behind or from the side. Yeah. Ask me how I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Broke a really expensive pair of Ray Bans that way once. Um, and your jaw. And my jaw. The- <laughs> I did actually break my. It healed though. Um, it got better. The Ray Bans. I was poor. I was. I was poor, man. Those were really nice sunglasses for me. <laughs> I was pretty upset about that. No, so there are all these little things that you get used to. If you can put them into your writing, what happens? Even if people don't know that, they kind of they kind of understand. Anybody who's ever had that adrenaline dump actually kind of understands it. So when they read that kind of stuff in your fiction, it brings it home. You know, it makes it mean, it yeah. makes it feel more real to them. Even if they don't consciously realize that you're manipulating them and that you're putting that stuff in there. Yeah. I mean, now to, to be clear, 
from a liability standpoint, Larry, we are not suggesting that you go out and go and get into fights so that you can experience no, no, these no, no, things no, real no. time. Though there are some writers who, who do just because they're horrible people and everybody wants to punch them. Yeah. <laughs> Did I, I? Okay. Yeah, I've got a list. Well, for after the episode, I got to show Steve, a guy who was making fun of on the internet, as a dude who actually, another, the only time in all the, all the writers I've ever made mad in my career, only dude I've ever had like step up Fight to me. me in person and try to like start something. Oh, he, oh I, I know that one. Oh, you know this guy? Uh, and he's a sawed off little dork. Yeah. And I just kind of laughed at him and walked away. Cause, yeah, I remember this one. I was well, there. Plus, there was an event. I was carrying a gun. I'm not going to get in a random fist fight with a drunk yeah, it's a terrible moron idea. You know, at the spaghetti factory. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was at this one. I was at this oh, one. Oh, yeah, you were, huh? Yeah, I was. this was a Gen Con. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah All right, well, never mind. So we're digressing. We're anyway. digressing here. But um, yeah, so basically, guys, learn the, like, the little things uh, about the human body that make this stuff more realistic and then put it through the point of view character. You got to kind of, everything's through that point of view character. So if you're writing a dude who has been through this, he is not as affected by the freak out, by the fear. It's actually interesting if you watch videos of actual violent encounters, you can see the different mindsets people have. Some dudes are just wired that when violence goes down, they just handle their business. Yeah. They just handle it and they are whatever. I am just doing my thing. The example I use in my notes there was like, you know, if if, if I'm writing Chuck Liddell beating up a dude, you know, he's just going to be on the guy. It's just Tuesday. Punching the dude and he's like, hmm, what, what should I have for dinner? I think I should have notches. I like notches. Wow, that's a lot of blood coming out of that guy. You know, this is a dude who's done this a million times. No big deal. If you're writing somebody who's not, it's going to be totally different. So everything comes to that emotional prism of your point of view character. Amp it up based upon what they're doing. Or if you want that, like, you want that cold, technical, handling business, Ashok Vidal, Jake Sullivan kind of thing, that makes for great action scenes too. And those are the ones you can actually do the little more complex action scene. Because when a complex action scene comes through that guy's perspective, it's a lot more plausible to the reader than if you throw, you know, Jimmy the intern in. Oh, poor <laughs> Jimmy. Jimmy's just a ping pong ball. You know what I mean? He's just going to get bounced around between the forces of the universe. You know what I mean? So it's all going to come down to character. Make sense? Yeah. I, I, I got to wonder, Larry, when you're doing this, I, I it seems like, I don't know, I, I guess like a character trait, just like any other that we're talking about, you know? Um, and again, you write a lot of action stuff. I definitely write a lot of action stuff too. Um, I tend to approach mine from a little bit more horror angle. You tend to approach it from a Yeah, and that's just honestly, angle. honestly, we've talked about this before too. That's, that's a, it's a question of helplessness mm-hmm. and how much the character, how much difference your character can actually make mm-hmm. against the threat. Yeah. And, and so if you're writing horror, a lot of times it's like, you could try. Yeah. But you're screwed. Oh yeah. And that's part of that dread. And, and I think what's interesting is um, this gives you, as a writer, a lot of opportunity to play with character development. Oh, yeah. I was gonna, yeah, definitely. Honestly, I was going to hit on this in the next episode, too. But we'll, so we'll revisit this. But real fast, don't think of action sequences as, an, as a block by itself. It's not a monolithic thing where you go on from page five to page 10 is action only. Action sequences are a fantastic time to reveal things about a character. It's a fantastic time to reveal things from your, about your plot. Luke, I am your father. Right. You know middle I mean? of an action scene. Yeah, middle of an action scene. It's like, oh my gosh. You know, It's a great time to get those bits of emotion. It's a great time to have characters try and fail. 
and succeed. That all happens in the context of the action scene. So a lot of people tend to think of an action sequence as a separate and distinct thing from, you know, and we've talked about this before with plotting. We've talked about this before, dialogue, romance, everything is melded together. Okay. Everything need, everything has a point, right? It's Uh, a casserole, not a salad. Exactly. If, if you're, if your action scene doesn't do anything for the plot or for the characters or for the story, then perhaps that's not a scene you should be having in your story. Yeah. Even me, like I, there's a running joke that if Larry goes 40 pages without an action scene, a single bead of sweat will fall down my brow. This is actually factually true. <laughs> it is. I'll be like, oh man, I haven't blown anything up in like I know. 50 pages. What am I doing? And that's in real life too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Even as busy as I am, I went out and shot pistols yesterday. <laughs> hey, when you got a zero and a pistol, you got a zero and a pistol. And right? I shot the best, the best pistol group at 10 yards I have ever shot in my life. It's literally like 0.38 of an inch on a 0.35 bore. Yeah. <laughs> Five shots. Sorry, nerd stuff. We'll talk about knowing equipment and, and, and nomenclature and details in the next episode. Mm-hmm. But this nerd stuff does actually help sell books. It really does. Um, I, I think the big takeaway for people here, Larry, is um, one, uh, don't go out and get in fights. Let's not do that. Yeah, please don't. Please don't. This is, guys, this is writing advice. So this is, um, if you're going to go out and get punched in the face, please do it in a uh, organized and safe manner. Yes. Uh, go to your local. Chicago, an alley in Chicago is no, not either of those two things. Go to your local Brazilian jiu-jitsu, you know, certified Gracie-related yeah. thing and sign up for class. And someone, Yeah, someone there will be more than happy to beat the crap out of you. Someone will be more than happy to fold your clothes while you're wearing them. Yeah. That's yeah. a great learning experience. But on the other hand, what we do recommend is if is if you're writing scenes that have to do with, say, archery or pistols or whatever, perhaps you should go out and actually do those things like we've talked about in other episodes. Absolutely. Fake it till you make it. That's right. All right. So this is part one. Um, and and, and I hope that you've enjoyed this as much as I have. Um, you know, Larry and I talk about this stuff all the time, but for whatever reason, I, I never, like I never get sick of it just because it's, it's so much fun to talk about. It's like one of my favorite. I get, I get really enthusiastic yeah. about this one. Uh, you know, it's, it's like me when, when I get to talk about horror, right? You know, like we just, we just geek out about these things and they're always fun to talk about regardless. So, um, so everyone, what I want you to do is to take these lessons, these, these pieces of advice that Larry's given. Um, and what I want you to do is to go home, well, unless you're already at home, then go to your desk or whatever and sit down and just write an action scene. But within that action scene, um, I want you to write it specific to that character. What does that character bring to that scene? That he, how he, per, he or she perceives it that makes it unique to them. I want you to make a unique perspective action scene and then tell the same scene from a different character in a different way. Okay. That's actually kind of how me and you got started. That's exactly together. how we got started writing together. That's how me and Mike Cooper got started writing yep. together too. So, that's your writing assignment for the week. And then when you come back next week, uh, we're going to continue this discussion on action. So, again, thank you all. This is the Writer Dojo, and we'll see you on the next one. Writer Dojo is Steve Diamond and Larry Correa, produced by Jack Wilder and Bear and Hair Studios. Theme song. Word Mercenaries by Craig Nivo. 
New episodes come out every Wednesday wherever you stream your content. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can help support us by going to anchor.fm slash writerdojo, by leaving a five-star rating and review, and by helping to spread the word. To advertise on the Writer Dojo, email ads at writerdojo.com. All questions and comments can be emailed to questions at writerdojo.com. Check my burrito levels.